Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right. Thanks for joining me. I have Maria with me today. And Maria, actually, I got to be honest, I recorded a podcast with Maria. It was a fantastic, um, it was a fantastic interview. We were talking about um, having more children after an autism diagnosis. And because I was new to this whole thing, I screwed it up and we couldn't salvage the video. And then when we re- recorded it, you were working. Yes. Um, cause yes. it was not summertime anymore. Cause no. you are a teacher. And, um, so your husband, Brian Keith came in and we re-recorded it, which is fantastic. And we recaptured some of that, but it just bummed me out because I missed you. And so, and of course we have so much in common and like we were just joking before we went live is that we could just sit here and talk about this stuff all day long. So Cause we could have we, our own show. We absolutely could. So, um, to recap, just in case you missed that episode, let's talk about you guys are a blended family, which, um, and. Uh, and in a large blended family at that. And so yes. there's a lot of interesting topics just with your family alone that we could literally um, podcast on. Number one is that you're a blended family and you have um, a child with autism. Actually, you have two of the kids, a high functioning yes. um, teenager with autism. And then you have actually he technically is a teenager now, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, you're one of your younger boys. Um, actually, he's your youngest boy. Youngest boy um, is um, has more significant autism and that it does impact him more than his older brother. And, um, yeah, we kind of like, we we could talk, we could talk about that alone too, is is that, you know, high functioning, make no mistake, doesn't make it easier. No, just different challenges, just different challenges. But, um, so you guys are a blended family. So you had your one son, Bryce, when you met Brian Keith and he had his three children. Yes. And then you guys got, it's like almost like the little Brady bunch and you guys got married and blended the families together. And then you guys um, had beautiful Brooklyn and she is just an absolute doll. So she is the only girl. Only girl. Oh my gosh. She is spunky and just, oh God, I love that kid. Full of like compassion. Compassion. I mean, she's amazing. She has high expectations for her brothers. Yes. Like she holds them to a high level. But being the youngest man, like, but she, she writes, she is very um, open about what her expectations are, which I just love that about Brooklyn. And so anyway, so, and then of course now you have, um, and then you have co-parents that are now involved in this situation as well. And so, like I said, so much, so much (laughs) within your family that we could dissect and um, podcast on. And again, we had your husband on Brian Keith, and we were talking about, you know, this decision to have another child knowing that, you know, when you're talking about genetics, there are, is that probability that you um, could have another child with autism. Um, you guys also have multiple children as, yes. um, with autism. And of course we have that connection too, which is why we kind of laugh because, you know, Isaac was more significantly impacted. Um, and then of course I have Caleb who's very high functioning and we chuckle to ourselves too, because make no mistake, that does not always mean that things are easier. Perception is often lost with yes. high functioning. Oh my goodness. Yes. And so anyway, let's talk about the blended family first, because this actual, we were going to podcast today about step parent challenges. Um, so that's why I had to give your whole life story just so that that <laughs> way people can understand why, um, 
you know, it was so excited when you saw when you were like, hey, like this is my topic because it's like um, this is a hard one to talk about because you don't really want to throw the, the parent step parents under the bus or the co-parents under the bus necessarily. But there definitely is um, different challenges. And, you know, we were just talking before live too, just expectations. So yes. um, and an interesting thing. So let's back up too. How long have you and Brian Keith been together? We have been together since 2010. Okay, so 2010. So the boys were pretty young. Yeah, Josiah was four when I first came around, and now he's 13. And at that point, you had no um, just inside information or knowledge about autism at that point. No, I was completely green with the world of autism. But but I perceived it as a, okay, well, there's challenging behaviors. What do we do? Like, just- basically okay yeah we're gonna move forward but it was also bliss and ignorance at the same time like I didn't realize the challenges that he faced and I just didn't really almost accept it it was like nope he's not potty trained okay we're potty training yeah like that's natural that's what we're gonna do that's a natural progression yeah that's what four-year-olds start working on and that's what I actually loved about you is is that you're just like oh well what do you mean like kids with autism are never gonna do x y and z like this kid is like my expectation you had very high expectations for Josiah when it's very natural and and I've said this before the world gives you a lot of grace when you have a child um, or a loved one that's significantly impacted that's obviously impacted by um, you know, like autism or another disability. But for you, you were like, well, nope, nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> sorry about your luck. Yeah, sorry. You might have autism, but we're going to potty train and we're going to have you be successful part of the community. Yes. Like, that's what we're going to do. And teaching him life skills yes. and having that expectation. Like, well, no, he still has to pick up and do his dishes. And just he like has every- chores like every other teenager in our house. Like, yes. And I often will tell him like, your hands are not broken. Yes. <laughs> you're fine. You're okay. It might be heavy. Yes. We'll work on motor strength, but you're taking the garbage out. Yep. Like, that is your job. That's your job. Yeah, you're part a- of this team Jennings and we need every member and you're a member. So yes. take out the trash. Yes. And I love that because when we're talking, when we're talking about Josiah, like this just kind of paints a a bit of a picture for Josiah. He has come a long way in language, but when I first met him, when he was little, so I think I, he, you guys popped into my world when he was what, five? Probably at soccer. Yes. I think five-ish. And he did not have language. No, Um, no. That wasn't until probably seven or eight with the iPad. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, And so um, obviously he's ambulatory, but he, um, I I do feel like he has a great imagination because one of his favorite things is, of course, his superheroes. That's one of my um, things with him is he loves his action guys and he lines them up like they're doing something. And he can reenact scenes from movies like from Superman or Spider-Man. He can reenact every scene yes. using his superhero action figures. Yes. And so when you actually watch some of that unfold, it's like, oh my goodness, if you could only tap into his mind to see, yes. you know, like how rich the detail is. Cause he really, um, you know, he is just very imaginative, but he also has high behaviors. And of course I, of course never see that. And you're just like, oh honey, oh yes. <laughs> see him without medications because, which uh, is a whole nother podcast. Yes. That is another <laughs> podcast because we talked about that is that this has taken years because he does have a lot of behaviors. Yes. Um, and again, we, that's not, of course, the times when I see him. But again, when you see, have those days, you just don't go home. You well, leave, don't leave the house. And we do a lot of practicing at home. Yeah. Like th- learning that those behaviors aren't acceptable. Yep. And how to work through them and how to manage through them. And they're easier to do so within the safe boundaries of your house than in the community. Yes. And so the behaviors are less in the community, but increased at home because that's where it's safe to do those. Yes. And that's just it. And so again, you know, the Josiah that we all know and love, you know, is, is Josiah's best self. 
but yes, his best, as we all are in the yes. community, like when we're all out, we're our best selves. And then at home, it's the safe place to yeah. crumble. Like, yes. And be frustrated and yes. just have really no good, terrible days. Yes. Yes. No good, <laughs> terrible days. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing that I always um, have just really admired about you is, is that you came in with no knowledge of autism, but you had very high expectations. Like, well, what do you mean? He, you know, kids with autism like this can't do this. Like, no, uh, he can, and he's going to. And so because his biological mom was not in the picture at Correct. this point because Correct. she was not, um, you know, with the boys and didn't have visitation with her for quite a while, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so really you stepped in and, you know, your families became blended and you became mama, which um, is part of my, I have an extensive background in early childhood education. So it was yeah. pretty common for me to kind of swoop in and Nurture. Nurture. Yes. And that's you. have them meet expectations because I know that they're capable. Yes. I didn't know that I probably shouldn't have pushed as hard. But I think because we did, he's, he's as successful as yes, he is. He is because he really is. He is a delight. And I get that it's not all ra- no. ra- rainbows <laughs> and sunshine. I get it. I totally get it. Um, but and that's one of those unique things that I think is really um, fun about your family is that, um, you know, when we've watched over the years, um, you know, just your family's progression. Um, but we were talking because the boys were really young and they didn't have any, um, interaction with their mom for many, many, many years. Um, you know, you came in and, um, you know, now your son had a relation, has a visitation relationship with his dad. Yes. Um, and so, um, but Bryce is neurotypical and, um, so, you know, he would go and spend time with his dad on those weekends. And then he was home with you guys on um, your, I mean, during the school year, obviously too, but, or the school week. But uh, whereas the other three boys were with you a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. And at that stage, we were co-parenting to a point where both Brian Keith and Bryce's dad, Brian coached the boys on the same soccer team. (laughs) Thank you for throwing that out there because here is like the, so I knew your husband because of Josiah and the connection to the Isaac foundation. And, um, I had just talked to him on the phone because we were like organizing, um, a therapy grant for Josiah. And then all of a sudden I get like another message about like coordinating, um, Tyler's soccer. Yes. And it was like, wait a minute, this guy's name is Brian Keith. This is so weird. There's not very many. No, there's not two Brian Keith. And I'm like, this is so weird. And so, um, I, so when I talked to him to arrange that, I'm like, Hey, so just out of curiosity, like, do you know who I am? And he says, yep, mm-hmm, I do. <laughs> sure do. I was like, Oh, like, didn't, did we just talk? And he was like, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. I said, so, and you're my son's soccer coach. He says, yeah, I am. So then of course we show up for the very first practice. And then like, I finally clue in that the co coach yes. was your ex-husband. And yes. I was like, wait, what? Well, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. So we have Brian Keith one coach. And then your ex-husband was the other soccer coach. And his name is Brian. Brian. So just got the wrong one the first time. Yes. Yeah. 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 You fixed it the second. I fixed it. Yeah. So that was the other thing too, is, is that in terms of co-parenting, um, it was just, I was like in awe of the fact that, you know, and it was a fantastic soccer season for Tyler, um, in terms of having two great coaches and yes, um, very successful. So yeah, that was my first, I was like, wow, this is really an amazing family here because like, look at this good stuff. Now, we I swallowed a lot of pride that year. <laughs> yes. But 
you know what, let's be real. Like we got to do that. You know, in my world, I'm divorced from my kids' dad and my daughter's birthday was last Sunday. And, um, what did Kelly want for her birthday? She wanted everybody to eat at Red Robin as a family, including my significant other to come along too. And so guess what? Isn't that special? All just like rallied and we went out and John and Reed were sitting there like, you know, drinking a beer and socializing while we're all sitting at this table. And the whole time I'm like, wow, Hey, this something. We're just going to bite our tongue and have yeah, a drink and we're just going to get through this. And by and large, you know, we do actually co-parent pretty well. I mean, we have differences of opinion at times, but, um, you know, it's one of those things where when you can suck it up and, and put everybody's feelings and pride aside, it's not, it's not terrible. And actually, um, you know, my kids would be hard pressed to really tell you a time where they've seen visibly seen a conflict between their dad and I, or my significant other and, their dad, because it's just something where, you know, uh, we don't pull the kids in. Right. And that's, those are those behind the door conversations, but those get challenging when you have a child with autism, when there's medications involved and parents don't always agree that they should be medications or correct therapies. Are you doing the right therapies? Why are you doing those therapies? Like that's where it gets interesting. Yes. Because now let's fast forward a little bit because in the last, what has it been a couple of years, two years, years. three years. Yeah. A couple of years, two, three years. Um, the boys's biological mom is now back in the picture and is doing thriving and doing amazing. She's doing amazing. I had the pleasure of actually meeting her. And it's so funny because now that I get to see her, I can see the resemblance with some of the kids. It's like, Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, but I'd never met her before. And she came to um, uh, one of our uh, World Autism Awareness Day. We had a little reception. And so that was the first time I got to meet her. And um, it was it was great. And again, you guys were there. Their mom was there. And I thought this is really, again, it's not all roses and sunshine all the time because you have to navigate some of these things. But I think in terms of being able to show up, both parents being there with step parents you know, as a family, I think it's very powerful. And when you have a kid, kiddo touched by autism, you have to come together as a oh, team. You have, you have no choice. Yeah, there it's is. not an option. Yes. You have to come together as a strong, united front because yeah. there are so many battles waiting for you. Correct. And so many pushbacks that it's, it's necessary. Yes. Now, and I'm working at this a little bit different because in my world, um, I have my ex-husband and then my significant other who is also an autism dad. Um, so he has a child with autism. And so when we're, when, when we're getting together to talk about Caleb, um, both, um, you know, my significant other and, and Caleb's dad really, um, kind of just say, you know, they want to hear the information, but they're going to basically listen to what my input is and be comfortable with kind of a course of action. I feel like is in our best interest with Caleb, right? Yes. Because I'm the mom. I'm the one that's taking him to the therapies. You I'm have the, the knowledge. One. I have the knowledge. I do the research. I obviously yes. am more immersed in the autism community and just kind of know, you know, where our next like focus needs to be like in terms of life after high school, like those sorts of things, medications. Yes. Um. So I, the dads, you know, um, tend to basically, they want to hear the information, they have questions, but I don't have to really argue or fight much when it comes to how we're going to roll it out or implement it. But I have to think in your world, it's a little bit different because you have two mamas, two moms, two moms. Yes. And I just feel like as if, if the day comes where, you know, my ex-husband of course meets someone and, and then they 
needs to be part of that communication and that decision-making process. Like, I feel like that might be a little bit hard because, you know, women, I mean, we're caretakers, we're nurturers. Yes. We want the best. And when, you know, we have difference of opinions, like I just don't even know how you would go about I guess that. we're lucky in the regards that Brian Keith has been in the community of disabled. Yes. Cause that's and his profession. He, he, yes. So his profession has been kind of this world the whole time. Yes. So he's actually a lot more knowledgeable. Like he yes. understands the medications and the side effects and how they work together and the therapies and what's successful and what's not. And even life after high school, because yes. he works with adults um, in terms of supporting adults with disabilities. So he understands the path and the plan. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of go along with it. I know a little bit about the younger piece of it and the social, the emotional, child, yeah, yes. the early childhood development um, background. And the biological mom is herself also in the same field. Oh, interesting. Yes. I did not know So that. they work at the same place now. Oh, okay. And it's going well. Um, but she is definitely has a a lack of understanding of just all this stuff. Cause it's a personal now. Yes. And what does this medication do and why is he on it? And she's accepting of it once she has the explanation and the information, and just not accepting of it. Like this is what we're doing yes. and she's okay with it. No, sit me down. I want the dictionary version. I want three hour movie. Tell me why we need to do this and then I'll be okay. Gotcha. And I think that's just her kind of filling in the blanks. She's missed so much and just trying to get caught up. Um, because essentially, so just for timeline, um, cause Josiah, cause Josiah was about 10 then when she like came back and was, then, yes. So about yes. 10 years old. So from 10 years and before, um, and you met him when he was what four. four. Yeah. So, so six years, six years, there's a span of time in terms of like, just, you know, because of circumstances, like not being able to be involved and, um, and he wasn't medicated Yes, when she was first around. Yeah. That was afterwards. Sure. And so, the diagnosis was afterwards. Correct. Yeah, you're right. That's now that I'm thinking about it. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. So this is, you know, so she's really had to do kind of crash course. Yes. In what this is, what this means for my child. Um, and so that's probably got to have been kind of an adjustment for her. And just in terms of like, you know, also too, it's the bigger version of it when it's, when they're little and they're four, um, now all of a sudden, you know, he's 10 pre-puberty and now we're, you know, oh golly, mm-hmm. getting the puberty. Yeah, that word. Okay. Everything That's that goes with that. Yeah, exactly. That's again, another whole podcast. I know, another, whole another one. <laughs> whole another podcast. Um, but that's the thing is, is that I think it, I, I, again, you know, I'm looking at it, I'm working with two dads and dad perspectives and again, they're willing to acquiesce or, um, you know, they need the, just the, I need the cliff note version of this and why we yes. need to do it. Whereas you're dealing with it and I'm with you, like, if it was rules reverse, I'd be like, yeah, I need the three hour oh, yes. uh, documentary on what, when, how, where, and why, why. is the dose so high? Why yes. is that beneficial? Why mm-hmm. are we starting at such a high dose? And it's just not, okay, I accept it, which I wouldn't either. No. I'd be like every visit, explain yes. it to me in full detail. Thank you. And that I'm so with and you. And no ill intent is ever assumed. No. It's just, I want to know the information about my child. Correct. And I respect that 100%. And because, you know, here's something that I'm sure nobody here is shocked to hear is we're over communicators. You know what uh, I'm yes. Guys are just like cliff note version. Like yes. tell me, tell me deets and let's just like hit the ground and, and like roll this out. But, um, so that's just kind of an interesting sidebar. So if you had to, um, I, and I think probably the reason why it works and it doesn't, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. When we talk about what are some of the challenges? Like when you guys then don't agree, like what does that or other challenges you might have? I think part of our challenges is that sometimes 
it's easy to forget that he is grown, that he is 13, that some of his interventions need to be adult sized and he's not three. I think it's sometimes forgotten. And socially, emotionally, how old is Josiah? He functions, I would say about no more than three years old. Yeah. Um, Higher in some levels, but pretty across the board, about a three-year-old level. And so again, you're absolutely right. You know, because he presents as socially, emotionally as a three-year-old, but yet he's in a young man's body. Correct. um, And And has aggressions. Yes. As a 13-year-old hormonal boy. As opposed to a four-year-old boy. Yes. Three or four-year-old boy. Um, It's a lot different. And also too, she missed a lot. And so... Um, there's you know, a lot of filling in the gaps that are occurring right now. Yeah. A lot of overcompensating, which I can't would, say I would be, I, any I would be just as guilty, Yeah, but it's hard when it's affecting our daily life that yeah. we have to be proactive because the reality is he has to be able to function in society, yeah. whatever that looks like at whatever level. And we have to start those skills because it could take him eight years to learn a skill. Yeah. And one more day that we wait to start that skill or be inconsistent with the skill or that's the biggest challenge is we have expectations in our home and she has expectations in her home. Yeah. And those don't always blend. And that's the challenging piece to undo before he goes back. Yes. Well, and then of course too, because she's having to learn autism and what that means, kind of the, you know, she was kind of thrown to that deep end of the pool. She doesn't have the benefit of knowing that really consistency. Yes. A hundred percent consistency. A hundred percent of the time is what means the difference between him learning a skill in one month versus eight years. And that's the hard thing about parenting autism mm-hmm. is you have to be consistent. Yeah. You have to teach the same lesson for six years. Yes. Yeah. Like closing the bathroom door. We're still working on it. Yeah. And he was potty trained at four. Yeah. That's nine years of closing. I mean, yeah. you have to follow through with everything all the time. Yes. And that's so hard when you have two different households. And exhausting. Oh, gosh. I can only imagine. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, and now, because your other boy that has high-functioning autism, he, like, so how does, you know, because she's having to learn the, my child is significantly impacted by autism, but then also, you know, not her, when her older boy has high-functioning autism, which is totally different. How has that, has that been an easier Um, is it better, same, different? I think it's different for all of us. He was just diagnosed about a year and a half ago. He was one of those kids that flew under the radar because. So he has like six out of seven characteristics that they've never combined. Mm. It was minuscule. And then as puberty set in with him, it became more More evident of those. Um, he is super high functioning. He presents really well. Socially is where his struggle is. And just the, the no gray matter. Yes. Where I feel like she, she might even have an easier time than we do. Sure. Um, because her only exposure to parenting really is black or white Mm -hmm. where our parenting is, there is that gray matter. There is that flexibility. So I think she may even have an easier time with it. Because that's all she's known for yeah. the last two years. Yeah. So the skills are the same. Yeah. For the same for the different levels of autism. Yeah. Interesting. And we've always parented him as if he was across the board like all the other kids. Sure. And that was, I think, where we our frustrations were. Yes. Is because we've known him before the diagnosis and before the aha moments. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, this okay. That explains so much yeah. versus it would increase our frustrations yeah. of his lack of understanding. Yes. And it's interesting what that title does, though. It changes your perspective. It really actually does because um, 
like, you know, with your Caleb, there's a lot of communication flaw. There's flaws in communication that you don't realize until you are then using because part of high functioning autism is how social communication relates to the world and how they're using social communication and then some of the miscommunications. And so, um, also you don't realize how painfully specific you have to be. Yes. And that's, you know, so then when all of a sudden you're analyzing your way of communication and how really you, there's a lot of inferencing in terms of why I'm just, when I tell you to do this, there's a lot of inference. I assume that, you know, all 12 steps, all 12 steps. And that's where, again, you know, I'm a crystal clear communicator with Kayla, but I can be less clear in terms of my specific expectation with the other boys. Um, and so, but you're right when you now have a label and you can say, Hey, my child has high functioning autism, which means you have to be very specific in terms of how, like when you're yelling at him to walk in the hallway, you need to be specific and say, Hey, Caleb walk slower. Yes. It's, it allows me to have that 10 second, like processing time of like, okay, I know how to communicate with high functioning. Now I have to do that. One example was we were trying to wean him off his ADHD meds over the summer just to see how it would go. And we implemented coffee just to see oh, it was yeah. a safe place to do it. If not, we have five acres, go out and play. If you yeah. have some extra energy you to run five laps, yes. my friend. So he kept getting the same cu- cup every day. I'm like, buddy, you can use any coffee cup in the cupboard. Oh no. Those are hot cocoa cups because they have snowflakes on them. And those are coffee cups and you can't put the uh, other liquid in it other never cups. Occurred to him. Never occurred to him, but it never occurred to me that that would be, be a limitation. Yes. So it's those moments of frustration just over parenting like yeah. those as simple as a coffee mug and a well, hot cocoa. And here's the thing that we've learned with Caleb is that, you know, Caleb is one of four at home. And, um, and here, this is so funny because when you say, Hey, Caleb, clean your room. Like I would never send Caleb in his room and tell him to clean it because he wouldn't be capable of being able to do that because you really have to break down what it means to clean a room. You have to start here and yes. then go this next. Yes. So, and- yes. so we implement the, the checklist. We have a checklist for everything for Caleb, <laughs> literally, Um, and of course now in the day and age of like smart technology, um, you know, I keep it stored in my phone. So when I'm telling him to like clean, you know, so now I've taught him how to clean a room, but then if I say, Hey, Caleb, I need you to clean off the table. He's completely like, where do I I begin? I don't even understand like what that means. Like, how do I clean this table? Hey, you know what? Actually, if you analyze the steps that you use to clean a room, you can still apply it to the steps that you would use to clean a table. But you actually, I had to teach it because it's like, Hey, so here's, remember these, this checklist for cleaning the room. If we apply these same, the same order, the same checklist to the table, can we get it? Oh, oh, I never thought about that. But that piece is not there. Yeah, it is not it there. It is not there. And so again, I, I tease that we have checklists for checklists because that's just the way that our <laughs> life is. Um, and again, you know, like how, how do you brush your teeth? Like being even teaching how I don't sit down and teach my kids what my expectation is when they're brushing their teeth with the neurotypical ones. But with Caleb, I have to be very specific about like, you know, 30 seconds each side. And here's, you got to do the top. Then you do like, yeah. you know, the flat edges and you do the inside edges and you like, and again, it sounds preposterous, but again, in my mind, I just know that this is how I have to teach Kayla, but then you just assume that the other ones, um, no, but yet, um, I have, I don't care for how the teenagers clean when I tell them to clean their room. I'm just not a big fan of how, when I walk in no. there, I'm like, you call this clean. And it occurred to me that, you know what? I would never send Caleb into a room and be like, clean the room without like a checklist and, and 
understanding of what my expectation is. So I used Caleb's checklist and gave it to the boys when I told them to clean their room. And I was just like, oh my gosh, magic ticket here. <laughs> Ta-da! Like, oh my God, isn't this going to be amazing? Like, because it occurred to me that while they're neurotypical, they still struggle with some of that planning organization and how do I chunk something down to get it accomplished so that it meets my mom's expectation. And I feel like as adults, we use lists. Oh I goodness. start my day off like everything I have to accomplish, put it on a time frame. Like, and even sometimes I'll have to call Brian Keith. Yes. What is the best way to execute this? Because I can't get out of my own mind. Yes. Like I have so much to do. I'm overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah. And I think we forget to teach our kids that skill so much. Yes. No matter their functional abilities. Correct. Well, and I have to be honest with you. I've been doing a lot of online um, trainings on understanding executive function. And I got to be honest with you, like all of our kids have challenges with executive oh, function. Oh, yes. Um, it's just that our, it's more obvious and prevalent when you're talking about autism. But I feel like we're expecting them to have challenges. So we're looking for them. Yes. And we have more scaffolding and supports in place. Absolutely. Whereas with these teenagers, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've used shaming language about, you know, man, like. You guys are so lazy, but it's not that they're really lazy. It's just that I don't think with their, with the mind, mind mentality of kids and, you know, um, uh, and, and they're losing neurons every, every day, day. They every day. Are. You're absolutely right. You know, we're losing that and we're associating it with them being lazy and they don't have the work ethic, but we actually haven't really taught them. Like they need the checklist just as much as our other kids do. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where I'm like having this whole epiphany. I could do a whole nother like podcast <laughs> on this whole thing about um, some of these little challenges. But um, back to our topic at Hammer, we're talking about step parenting. Have you found any like gems in terms of things where it's like, oh, I kind of learned the hard way of like... Um, better ways of co-parenting or like avoiding or minimizing challenges when you're talking about step parents um, coming together to raise kids. Like I think the best thing we've ever done was shown Chanel that I'm not trying to replace her yeah. in their boys' role. Mm -hmm. I'm a bonus mom. They get to have two of us now. Yeah. And by no means am I stepping on toes. Am I imposing on what is her and Brian Key's children? Like that's not my goal by yeah. any means. And I am a super friendly, personable, outgoing, oh, social person. You absolutely I are. can make friends with anybody. And that was my number one goal. I'm like, we're going to be in this for a lifetime. Yes. It's not the, oh, 18 and then we're done. this relationship is done. This yeah. is going to be a lifetime relationship. Yeah. And I luckily in this one area was mature enough to understand that this is what needs to happen. Yeah. We need to have a healthy relationship. And it didn't come easily. But I think once she knew I wasn't a threat, that I wasn't judging, wasn't taking over, we we're yeah. just in this together on the same team. Yeah. I think that just eliminated a lot of the frustrations. Yes. Because it, there was nothing to fight about. Yeah. There was nothing on the table. Well, here's where I think that, um, so my ex-husband did have a very serious relationship and um, I liked her very much. And the reason why I liked her is because I knew she loved my children. And that changes it for me when, you know, Yes, there were times where it's like, oh, like my feelings are hurt because, you know, Kelly, her number one thing was, you know, she just couldn't wait to spend time with this other like um, woman. And um, on one hand, it was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, like, OK, fine. Like, I'm not the right. mom anymore. Like, I'm the one that has to do all of the disciplining and this that, and the other. But then I thought, you know what? Get over yourself, Holly. Like you are seriously complaining or are hurt because she loves this woman so much that she can't wait to spend time with her. And I really had to check myself because it's like, you know, my biggest complaint is that, you know, she loves my daughter and my daughter loves her. Holly, 
you are so stupid. <laughs> just make, a, make a chest, Holly. Yes. I, it's, just right. make a list. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That's my biggest problem. And so that was like the big thing for me is that, um, you know, and I wish that, you know, like more parents could see the fact that, you know, like I very much care for my significant other's child. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, unfortunately in our situation, like the relationship isn't very good, but I think that, you know, if you can have perspective of the fact that, you know, like how lucky you can be when the intentions are that you love this child and you just want the best for them. And yes, you can be, you know, angry and resent, um, the other person, but I think it goes a long way for saying like, there's love there. Like again, how lucky you are that you have someone that actually loves this child and is willing to be part of, of the child's life and wants the best, you know, for this kiddo, I think it goes a long way. Um, and somewhere, somehow you have to start, you know, figuring out that things could be a heck of a lot worse. It could be worse. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I think it's hard to challenge the fact if all parties involved truly have the best intentions, you cannot argue positive intent. Yes. Positive intent. If you have positive intent, there's nothing to be frustrated about. Yeah. There's nothing to just get bent out of shape about yeah. because if, if I can prove to the boy's biological mom that I have nothing but positive intent, yes, there's gotta be some relief for her. Cause I know if I, if the pages were flipped, I would be like, it's hard watching somebody else take my kid to the doctor, but I know that they're going to have the best intent for them. Yeah. And there's, there's gotta be a trust there. Yes. And it's not easy and it had to be earned. Yeah. But positive intent is the only way to get through it. Yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, I'm trying to think in my, in our world, like what, um, oh, the other thing I was going to say that there was, I had a little thought rolling around in there because I got off on my tangent. So I forgot what my second point was here. And I don't know if this is the case for you is, is that one of the things that has really helped our, um, step parenting is, is that we, we had to let all of the kids know that, um, like, so with my ex-husband, like my ex-husband and my significant other and I are all on the same page. Like it's a united front. So no matter where you choose to go, you are going to get the same answer. So my four kids know that no matter where they go, we are, we've had this discussion and you're not going to be able to backdoor anything because we've had this conversation and we agreed with the terms and where we decided to go with um, how we were going to roll this out. And unfortunately we don't have that to a T. I tell you what, um, you know, there's been a couple times where, you know, and this was, it was totally me. I, you know, like broke chain of command and, um, you know, I, I, it was me. And, um, so, but the thing about it is is that having experienced that and then having to sit down and have conversations with, you know, like my ex-husband in terms of the fact that, you know, Hey, didn't handle that particularly well. Um, you know, but going forward, you figure out, you realize that, wow, especially when I was the weakest link and I had to acknowledge the fact that I buggered that one up pretty bad. Um, it really is, it really does help when it is that united front and there's that consistency in terms of no matter where you go, my friend, you will be getting the same answer. And this is the, what we have decided. Um, and again, there's compromise and you have to kind of meet in the middle at least somewhere, but mm-hmm. you have to be willing to compromise and then have that united front. Uh, cause, and here's the thing. It's not even really the issue with the child with autism. It's the neurotypical teenagers. 100%. Wait, oh my goodness. Uh, and I think that's just common practice yeah. even between aunts and uncles houses. Oh like, yes. Oh, you, grandmas and grandmas. Oh yes. No oh, matter where word. you go, you're expecting to be able to act as if you're a different person. Yeah. But when you co-parent, it has to be fluid. Yeah. 
there yeah. cannot be any differences between one household and another, which is challenging when parenting styles are different, yes. which is oftentimes what leads to yeah. the result of two houses, Yes, at least in our situation. Yeah. And again, too, in your situation, you know, she um, entered the world again with the kids three years ago. And so again, she's probably still, I can only imagine because you know, the parent I am now is not the parent that I was. Oh, no. I, um, but that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, when you become a parent, you get these little newborn baby bundle of joys. And then, um, you know, you 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 grow with your child. You're learning your with parenting. them every day. You are. Um, now, my fourth child is um, a he's my bonus son. So he was he came into our world. Um, he was functionally homeless and was considered an unaccompanied minor in our school district. So he was not, um, he was couch surfing and had been for quite a long time and had, um, you know, lived, I mean, he's lived in a car and homeless shelters. Mm. And so when we brought him into our home, he was friends with Tyler and Tyler met him in the eighth grade. They became friends and Tyler wanted him to have a safe place um, to stay. And so that's how he ended up in my lap. And um, it was just not an option. I mean, it was just you know, I could not in a million years think about, you know, being like, oh, no, you know, sorry. Non-negotiable. Not, yeah, you're staying here's, here. Here's here's your new <laughs> home. But he so he came into my world at 14 and because um, now he's 16. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, again, it was rough when, you know, taking just jumping in at 14 and he has to learn what it means to be part of a family. He has to learn what it's like to have siblings and how, you, you know, it's not. And you have to learn how to parent a child with a diverse background. Yes, he has trauma. And so just, you know, supporting him and not taking things personal, you know, and it's been a wild two years. And so I can kind of, you know, again, I've been, you know, like in a perfect world, you get your kids and you're becoming a parent as you're, as you're going. But in this instance, it was just like, holy. And I thought, oh, this is going to be easy because you know I already have a 15 year old. So like, you know, blah, blah. Yeah, no, but it's, like it is you've different. been given a, newborn at 14. Yes. At 14 that talks back and has a lot of emotions and can walk out that door and think that, you know, like the world of, of course is never fair. You know, world is never fair never. for a teenager. Um, and so, um, you know, it's been, so my bonus son has been a bit, you know, um, we've been having to all learn what, you know, cause it changed the whole dynamic. And I kind of think about you guys when, you blended your families together, although the boys, the kiddos were a lot younger when you guys blended your family. Um, there it is a little. And it's challenging in the fact that two have communication struggles. So they're not able to express the challenges and the concerns that they have in appropriate way. Josiah has the use of an iPad for communication and our oldest just has struggle formulating thoughts and into words. Yes. So that would come out in behaviors as we I'm a firm believer that every behavior is a form of communication. Oh my gosh. I say that in my training at least 20 times when I do trainings for educators and first responders and community partners, it's like behavior is communication. Even when you're talking about a very high functioning, you know, individual, when they can't pull it together, they can't formulate or in an organized, efficient way, articulate what their thoughts and feelings are, then you start seeing behavior. Absolutely. Or even the lack of cognitive ability to label the emotion. Like if you've never felt it before, how do you describe it? And where is it stemming from? And all of that just kind of causes that anxiety to raise, which just causes behavior. When in fact, they're just scared. Like the world looks different. Like how, how do we become children of co-parents? What does that going to look like? Because we were so focused on how do you co-parent children 
never once put in perspective of what that meant for the kids yes. and how their world is going to change. Oh my goodness, like yes. we never sat down and explained that it just happened because we were worried about how it would look for us yeah. without realizing that we probably should have had that, should have had that conversation with them and had them ask questions or, you know, tell us, what do you think this is going to look like? Yeah. How does this, you know, in a perfect world, how does this roll out yep. to make you feel they had safe no and secure? voice in that transition? Oh. And I'm looking back, that probably would have been, something to good to call. We keep things 100% in our house is what we call it. So it's a safe place. If you have questions, concerns, that would have been a great 100% conversation. Tell you what, isn't it? You always have the benefit of hindsight, which is 2020 all the time. All the time. Hindsight is always 2020. It's like, oh man, if, you know, again, you know, I, there are so many things in this world. I would love to be able to go back and change, but you don't have the benefit of going back and and hitting the repeat button. But that's why we have podcasting. That's it. So that that way we can say, hey, hey, if you're blending a family, sit down with the children and tell them what's going on. Yes. <laughs> it's important. It really <laughs> is important. And again, one of the things that we were talking about too is, is that you, um, with your ex, um, your son had some feelings and through counseling, you know, he had a very open conversation with his dad. And one of the things that, you know, it it, it is, her, it is hard when you hear things that you're not prepared to hear, especially from your own blood. Yes. From your own blood. And I'm it's not hard saying, not to take it personal. Well, and I, you know, with my teenagers and they tell me stuff, you know, it does hurt. It does sting because you're doing the best that you can. But then when you hear some of these things being able to like the hundred percent, like, Hey, this, yes, I have to be able to voice. This is how this makes me feel. And keeping it 100 allows us then to counteract with like, okay, I hear you, but this is how you need to deliver your messages. Yes. Like, yeah, this is a safe place but we're also going to work on your delivery because your tone can change a conversation in two seconds. I always say too, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So our kids need a safe place to learn how to say things. And they can't be in trouble for that. And that's the thing is that, you know, Caleb was really upset and I shared this one in my previous podcast. I don't know if it's actually been um, posted live yet, but um, when we got divorced, it wasn't um, that, Caleb was, you know, I mean, he was sad. Initially, all of the kids were sad when we got divorced and went there. It's going to be two houses and Christmases are going to look different. Um, but all of them adjusted pretty quickly and fairly and well, except for Caleb was the one that just held on to his frustrations longer. Um, and it really wasn't because he didn't. That he hated it necessarily, because, you know, we always very were very healthy and wouldn't talk about each other to the kids because we didn't ne- never we at least could agree on that early on because it wasn't always roses and sunshine. When you first get divorced and the separation happens and you're fighting over everything, it's very difficult. Healthy relationships don't get divorced. They don't. No, they don't. And so but again, the one thing I will say is, is that my ex, you know, did limit. I never talked about him to the kids in a negative way. And he. Um, you know, did the same, but Caleb was still upset, but it wasn't because he was sad about the relationship ending. It was the inconvenience of him having to remember to grab his crap from one place to take it to the other place. And that's a big burden for our kids to carry. It really is. But um, one of the things that I used to describe and explain to him in terms, because he held on to that for a long time. I mean, even still, we've been divorced for five years and he'll every now and again say how much he hates it. And I ask, you know, do you not like John? No, no, no. I, I love John. Um, so then what's the problem? Well, you know, again, it goes back to having to remember to grab your crap. You know what I mean? And I said, so we have to remind him about, I use the shoes analogy. If you woke up one day, Caleb, and you put your shoes on the wrong feet, how would they make you feel? Why well, would hate it? It would be uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, but it's still functional. I mean, you can still protect your feet. You can walk on gravel. You can still run in them. You can still technically do sports, may not be as efficient as if you had shoes that were on the but right. But the task feet. at hand the could task be accomplished. Could get accomplished. 
But if I told you that instead of just switching them so that they're on the right feet, you had to wear them like that every day for the rest of your life, how would that, how would that be cool for you? And he was like, no, like I wouldn't do it. Okay. So marriages are kind of like that too. Sometimes, you know, like when you get married, you know, over time you realize that, you know what, it's just not the perfect fit. That parachute is not the perfect fit. Now it's functional. You can, you know, get along for a certain period of time, you know, some longer than others. But, you know, wouldn't it be better to just be able to find a perfect pair of shoes that fits you perfectly that you're excited every day to get up and put on? And once you figured out where I was going with this, he was like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I still don't like it. Hey, that's the analogy that he needed. He needed to comprehend, to make it tangible. Yes. And so, but I will tell you, since he's had, we had that conversation, we were able to put it in a context where he could understand, you know, the concept and that, you know, how, you know, relationships are very similar to this physical discomfort. Um, you know, he was better. Now, again, he has in in only 18 months, he's only brought it up again where he is just is disappointed. And then when I remind him about the shoes, he's like, oh yeah, you know what? I, I'll never forget that because that's a good point, mom. But still, he's allowed to still not love it because right. it is an inconvenience for him and it does require him to have to be more responsible. Um, but again, you know, and does it hurt my feelings a little bit? Do I, do I feel sad about the fact that yes, gosh, you know, this is an optimum for any kid to have to experience divorce, but at the end of the day, you know, it's important that they understand that like being in, you know, a good relationship matters. A healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is important. So, um, anyway, like I said, he's still, you know, I don't love all of those hundred percent conversations, but again, you have to allow them to have their opinion. Um, and again, teach them maybe ways that they can express the fact that they're not happy or they disagree with the decision in a way that's not destructive and, um, nasty, but, um, you're absolutely right. That is definitely an important part. And sometimes actually we have to teach our exes how to have these conversations too, because not every divorce situation has the capacity to function well. And you have to teach not only the spouses and the children, but ourselves on how not to react when we're in our emotional state. Oh my gosh. Like you will get nowhere until you're in your executive state and teaching everybody around us how to get out of that emotional state makes for better relationships. Yes. And that's not easy. And I think too, being able to model the fact that, Hey, you know what? Like I just need, you know, I got to decompress and get back to a good frame of mind before I can even talk about this, I think is really healthy. And we express that too. I'm like, okay, this conversation's too big. Yeah. I myself feel myself getting uncomfortable. So we're going to take a break. Yeah. We're going to reconvene once we all kind of have a moment, whatever yeah. we need However to do to recenter. Takes. Yeah. And but this conversation is ending because it's not a healthy one and we're not getting where we need to be. But explain why that is, as opposed to saying, we're not talking about this. No, we're not not that we're not going to talk about it. We're just not talking about it right now because I'm going to say some things I don't mean. Yes. And before we get to that point, we're going to end it. Yeah. You're not avoiding the topic. No, you're just coming back when you're in a healthier state. And I think it's important for kids to see the struggle of communication because it's not easy for even adults to do effectively. Yeah. And it's okay for them to see that. Yeah. It's okay for them to see us needing a break. Here's one of the positive things that I have actually um, feel like it's been helpful to model to my kids is that admitting that I was wrong. Like when all the time I repair relationships with my children almost daily. And even when I foobar it with their dad, you know, and saying, Hey, you know what? Like I was wrong. Like this. So I think being able to have that conversation and just be open with them about the fact that, Oh man, Mm. 
And allowing them to see that it's okay to fail. Yes. And how to repair that relationship. And repaired relationships are still healthy relationships. That's important to see. Yeah. Versus, oh, well, I'm upset with you. I'm cutting you off. Yes. No, I just made a bad choice. I was in a wrong state. Yeah. I said some things I shouldn't have. Agreed. Agreed. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Let's move on. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, all right. Well, I think we're going to, Marie and I have to run around and actually be moms here shortly because <laughs> we have to retrieve children. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.